The way I think about authenticity coaching is creating space and holding space for folks to really like let go of expectations so they can start experiencing a sense of freedom and a sense of confidence to be who they are. I realized one of the things that I really yearn for, that I want for myself and I want for everyone is just to be comfortable being who they are. I really do think the world becomes a better place when we can show up that way as opposed to trying to, for example, put on a suit that doesn't really fit us at the end. Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that helps professional women access the limitless potential that lies within them. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik, And my mission is to help you find that spark inside you that has the power to transform your career in ways you may not have thought possible. I'm so excited that you're here. And now, on to the show. Hello, hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Art of Speaking Up podcast. I'm Jess. I'm the host and creator of The Art of Speaking Up. And I am a career coach for women who work in the corporate space or in a nine-to-five role. And my show and the work that I do as a coach is really intended to help you build confidence, find your voice, become a super effective, rock-solid communicator, and really elevate and advance into leadership roles. And I want you to do those things while enjoying your career, while being authentic to yourself, while feeling like you have balance in your life. My goal and my perspective is that even though it can be challenging to build an upwardly mobile career that feels rewarding and it feels like you have work-life balance and it feels like you can be yourself, I know that it can be difficult to create those things, but I believe that it's a goal worth pursuing and I'm here to help you do that. I am so excited about today's interview. I have an interview today and I haven't done interviews that much recently on my show and I started to miss having conversations because there's so much richness that comes up when I get to do a conversation with a guest. When I'm recording by myself, there's no dynamic back and forth for each of us to react to and to let the conversation evolve. And I really found myself missing that and craving that and craving some of the OG Art of Speaking Up episode formats where I used to do interviews. If you've been around here for a while, you know that the Art of Speaking Up started mostly as an interview show. Then it kind of flipped and became mostly a solo episode show. And now it's ebbing and flowing between the two. And I'm so honored to bring you today's guest, Betty. You'll hear Betty introduce herself, and she's going to tell you more about the work that she does. But the reason that I wanted to bring Betty on is because I got to know Betty through a coaching mentorship that I was a part of that was there to help me deepen my coaching skill set and really be able to guide my clients to experience deep lasting transformation and not just surface level change that doesn't really last. And in this program, I met Betty. And it's so funny because Betty is an authenticity coach. And I just remember every time I was in our Zoom room in that program, one of the biggest things that I felt from Betty's energy was just how much herself she was, how comfortable she was being herself. Like I could feel it in her energy. And I wanted to bring her on the show because I know that authenticity is something that so many of us are working on. And I thought to myself that she for sure has wisdom that will be so insightful and so useful. 
You're going to hear us hit on a lot of topics. This is one of those winding conversations where we hit on a bunch of things. You're going to hear us talk about being yourself at work, the discomfort in change, the tension between self-acceptance versus complacency, the need to slow down and really do internal work if you want to build a solid foundation to grow your confidence and grow as a person. We also talk about leadership and the responsibility of a leader and how to be an effective leader without having to necessarily be an a-hole because I think there's so many messages out there that tell us that in order to be an effective leader, you have to be stern and overly direct. And we kind of question and talk about that idea. We also talk about fulfillment and feeling fulfilled in your job. Betty talks about her coaching work. We talk about breaking out of false narratives and limiting beliefs. This is just such a good one. I'm going to get right into the interview so that you can dive in and meet Betty. I hope you enjoy. It's nice to be here. Thank you for having me, Jess. My name is Betty Chan, uh, pronoun she, they, and I call myself an authenticity coach. I think a lot of folks get like drawn into that title, but at the same time, it's like, wait, I have no idea what that is. So transparently, it's still something I'm working on refining for myself. But the way I think about authenticity coaching is creating space and holding space for folks to really like let go of expectations so they can start experiencing a sense of freedom and a sense of confidence to be who they are, right? However that version is. And I think of this expansively. It's not just like at work or at home, but just like across all areas of our life. I love that. You already started to answer my next question. So I'll skip ahead a little bit. But how did you get into that? What drew you to that area, uh, focus area for your coaching? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess even before around authenticity, it might be helpful to share a bit of how I even got into coaching myself. I actually hailed from a project management career. I would call it a career because I dedicated about 10 years of my life to it, different versions of project management, um, different roles in project management from executing to leading a team as well. And I think as I was kind of moving up the ladder on my own, there came a reckoning moment where I realized that the higher up I went or the deeper I went into this lane of career for me, I started to feel less and less satisfied. Like I was moving away from the things that I really loved doing, which was just like being with the team, helping them solve problems, helping them see new options and new possibilities when it feels like our back is against the wall. And particularly when I became a manager, I really enjoyed just helping folks figure out what excites them, you know, like what does fulfillment look like for them? I've never really thought of goal setting as a term of like, okay, well, here's the next tier. I would always like to ask, like, okay, what, what do you imagine this tier would bring to for you, right? Like what would this unlock for you as the individual that you are? And I didn't have a name for it back then. I didn't know what coaching was for a really long time, but it turns out that it was some that I was already bringing into my everyday conversation. So when I actually got to experience a life coach myself for the first time, I was able to put a name and some words to it and realize that actually this is something I naturally steer towards and it's something that like really, really lights up my day. So why am I not moving down this path? So had some hard questions, took a, a lot of hard months to really answer that. Um, for myself. And I think in that discovery process, I realized one of the things that I really yearn for that I want for myself and I want for everyone is just to be comfortable being who they are. I really do think the world becomes a better place when we can show up that way. 
as opposed to trying to, for example, put on a suit that doesn't really fit us at the end. I agree with that so much. I feel like especially now, I don't know if it's because this is some of my focus also as a coach, so I like see more of it and I have the bias, but it just feels like people are really craving that more deeply than ever, at least from the conversations that I'm seeing. I'm curious what your experience of authenticity, either authenticity or lack thereof, was like during the project management phase of your career. I mean, I would say overall, it probably indexed on the lack of authenticity. It's probably not unique to project management or even one workplace. It's something I think I've found present even from going to school, right? And it just like, it was compounded and enforced in these very like subtle ways of just like, okay, this is the adult you need to be. This is the professional you need to be, which is someone who doesn't have emotions, who keeps work separate from home, who has to always show up at their best, even when things don't feel that way. And just not having any room to admit mistakes or lack of certainty, right? So there's not a lot of room to just like play even, to just like be in a place where you're just wondering, you're just openly curious and so forth. It's a lot of like, okay, I got to show up and I got to know the answer and I got to sound really good when I give the answer. And if I don't, there's going to be a lot of bad, bad consequences. So I think most workplaces that I've gone through and I know colleagues and friends have gone through as well, that's the prevailing sense of what it takes to, to show up there. And I found that deeply stifling and I watched people burn out and suffer because of it. And the gratitude that people express to each other as colleagues when there was that moment of humanity and connection and seeing each other for the bigger beings that we are, right? It's like, okay, you're not just Jess and Betty, the work version of Jess and Betty, but like, who's just outside of work? Who's Betty outside of work? Like, what is weighing on us right now as human beings? What is exciting us as human beings as well? So I think the lack of it and the jarringness of it and just like the discomfort of it ultimately really brought me to coming into this landing of authenticity coaching. That makes so much sense. And I'm aware too, as we dig more into guidance for listeners, if they're wondering how they can come closer to their authentic selves, that there's both the role that the environment plays and then there's also the individual, right? And where that person is in their own journey. So we're going to talk a little bit about as an individual, how someone can uncover that. But I also want to acknowledge that that's not the full picture. And I'm sure we'll hit on both angles. But zooming in on the experience of the individual a little bit, if someone is really relating to what you're sharing and is in more of a nine-to-five career and is wanting to be able to show up more as themselves, like I'm sure you've seen with so many of your clients, what comes up for you as a coach when you're thinking about, okay, how can I support this person? Or what are some things that this person could be thinking of or looking at to help them slowly connect with who they are and feel more authentic and more self-expressed at work? I mean, work is just one part of our life, right? So I, I'm a firm believer of the patterns that show up there have already or very like to show up in other parts of our life, how we talk to our parents, how we talk to our kids, how we talk to our partners and friends and so forth. So it's as good of an area as any area to start 
being curious about ourselves. But my general approach really is to try to meet people where they are. Because I remember how difficult change is. I still do. Like, goodness, like every time something big needs to shift or there's a change, like I feel, I mean, sometimes I'm like, oh, am I getting older? And I'm getting more resistant to to change. But I think it's just a, it's just a human response to it. Like we, we like to know what we know and everything else in the unknown feels terrifying at times. So I also recognize asking people to take a giant leap of faith is very transformative, but not everyone is exactly there. So something I love to do is just like slowing down with the individual until I figure out like, okay, what is that? Is our left foot and right foot going at the same pace? And when we get there, that's when the real work starts, when we're when we're in lockstep with each other. If someone is trying to figure out how they can, I guess, bring more of themselves out at work, are there particular like questions or reflections that you think could be helpful for them in, in trying to figure out like what the path could look like? Yeah, I think there's there's actually, I am pretty sure I'm not the first one to come up with some of these, but the one that's been really top of mind for me lately is what's uncomfortable, right? Like, because I think sometimes we shy away from uncomfortable feelings. Like we get really quick to either ignore them, stuff them under the proverbial rug and just keep going. But if you start stuffing too many things underneath your rug, eventually when you're moving around really quickly, you're going to trip over it, right? And it's going to catch you at a time when you don't expect it to catch you. So I think one of the questions to put it simply is what's uncomfortable for you right now? Right. And then exploring that, like, what is that? What about it makes it uncomfortable? What would you want to happen instead? What would look better for you, sound or feel better? Just so we could start kind of flexing our mental muscles. I'm like, okay, how do I put words to this? Like something's off here. I know something needs to change and I trust that I probably know what it is, but I just, I'm just at a point where I haven't found the words to express it yet and just giving us the space and time to do it. I love the rug analogy. I've never heard that before, but it's so helpful and it makes so much sense. So if you keep putting things under the rug, it gets so lumpy that you're going to trip. <laughs> and I think that the fact that you're bringing up discomfort is so helpful. I would be curious your thoughts on this, but I think something that's so part of the human experience and I think that can make change so hard is I think it's just so natural for us to associate discomfort with like, I'm doing it wrong or I'm moving in the wrong direction, mm -hmm. right? And so I thought of that as you were sharing what you were sharing of sometimes to get to the place that we want to go that we imagine is going to feel better and more expansive we do not feel better and more expansive as we move towards it. And I think that's why growth and change can be so tricky. And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think anybody run towards change. I mean, there there might be those few special humans in the world who are like, I thrive on this. But even then, I think one of the phrases that I tend to go to is that what's uncomfortable can also be comfortable. Like for some folks, when discomfort is a prevailing feeling they've had throughout their whole life, being in the scary unknown actually is something comfortable for them. But that's not an experience I find that's typical for most folks. Most folks is like, okay, when there's something uncomfortable, this is a sign for me to move away from it. And I think a helpful way to think about it is that it's okay if the judgments, like the ones you named Jess comes up, like, okay, I'm not doing enough or I'm doing it wrong. If those thoughts come up, it's okay. We're not trying to prevent that from coming up. But a, perhaps a more empowering way to look at it is, what if this discomfort is just information? It's just data. 
about a situation, about ourselves, about a point in time where if we look at it from that way and we want to get curious and start collecting that data for ourselves, we get to then use that data to help us understand what's actually happening in the moment for ourselves internally or environmentally around us or relationally with the people that's across from us as well. So I think just turning that as like rather from a judgment, I was like, okay, there's judgment there. But maybe even the judgment's telling me something when I'm not enough. Like it means I'm feeling not enough about something. But what is that thing, right? Like getting curious about and getting clear about that. I love that so much because it's turning this much more compassionate lens onto the experience. And I also love what you said about it's fine that those thoughts are there. It's all okay that it's there. I think that can be so hard, just like that acceptance of we don't need to change the discomfort or the judgment. We don't need to make it go away. We actually want to be able to like be with it and to your point, understand what it's there to tell us. And I think that can really take the pressure off. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I feel like the beginning of any journey is just going to be really freaking messy. Like there are very few big, <laughs> I love your reaction. There are very few big internal shifts or life goals that we pursue where we go for it and it's like sunshine and rainbows. And we're like, yes, this was exactly as easy as I thought it would be, right? Like said no one ever. Yeah. I think in some ways it's super sobering, right? It's like this thing that you want. Um, there's going to be some, you're going to have to clean some scary stuff under the rug to make it happen. But then on the other end, there's a freedom that comes with that of like, oh, it's okay that this mm-hmm. is hard or messy. And just curious your thoughts and reactions to that. Yeah, I really, really like that you brought up freedom because there is sometimes like when we surrender to the discomfort, then we start to like retain more of our energy. I wonder if that makes sense. Like, okay, if I stop spending energy on like being attached and holding on to this particular outcome, like things have to look this way and so forth. If we let that go, then we actually have a bigger bank of energy, a bigger reserve of our own energy to get curious, to do other things. But like with most things, it it sounds simple, but it's not easy, Mm -hmm. right? And oftentimes the things that do ring true are the things that sound really simple and obvious, but actually developing the muscle to do it takes a ton of courage, a ton of resilience, and also like just commitment to yourself. I think a lot of us have learned to be really committed to others and committed to external goals that we're actually really out of practice on like, what does it mean to be committed to myself? And like, of course, there's immediately the narrative of like, oh, if I do this, am I selfish? But that begs the question of like, does the little selfishness actually harm anything, right? Or does that actually bring about something that's much more beautiful and restful? Yeah, well, I often think about our relationship with the idea of selfishness as women and how can we see selfishness as more neutral or positive? Because I that word has such a charge. I feel like that Mm -hmm. is not necessarily helpful. What you're sharing is bringing up something that I see often, which is this idea of, okay, if I accept and I try to release control and surrender to the experience so that I can learn from it and observe myself and slow down and grow my awareness so that there's room for these changes to happen, a lot of people tend to think like with that acceptance that I'm going to get lazy, I'm going to get complacent. Not that there's anything wrong with being lazy, by the way, but that I'm <laughs> going to stop moving to- like towards what it is that I want. Mm-hmm. And I'd be curious your thoughts on that of can we surrender and accept what's there and slow down 
without sort of losing the drive to keep going. Yeah. Wow. My, my brain works in analogies. So like 16 of them came up and I'm going to yes. have to make the hard choice of, of choosing one. Over here, we love analogies. Feel free to choose multiple if your heart desires. <laughs> yes. I think, you know, due to the seasonal changes now, it's something I've really tried to embrace and encourage folks to do when that surrendering feels hard is that it's a necessity, right? So one of the old timey sayings that we've, anyone who's traveled on an airplane has heard this, right? If the oxygen mask comes down, please put it on yourself before you put it on others, because it is actually impossible for you to help others if you're not helping yourself first, right? So if you are a service-driven or service mindset person and helping yourself feel selfish, then one way, and, and I'm one of those people, where it really helps is just like, okay, actually, if I want to keep doing what I want to do, which is care for everyone around me, then the best way for me to do that is to also care for myself so that I am around to care for those around me. And the other analogy that comes to mind that's been really present for me this year, in fact, it's even changing when I take calls as, as an entrepreneur, is just that everything is meant to rest, right? Like stillness is not a lack of motion, stillness can be really difficult. Anyone who's meditated will speak to that. And also if we think about mother nature, she needs to stop, right? She needs to fold into herself and like let all the leaves fall down, let everything kind of get a little bleak before she comes back full force in spring. So if something as big as that needs it, why do we as individuals not, right? What makes us think we have to keep going and that is the best way to do it? Yeah, that is so profound and it's so interesting to think about how we can sometimes think if we keep going, like go, 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 that's really when we're making the best, highest quality strides forward, but that it is having time to slow down and reflect. For me, that was something that I could only believe once I actually saw it play out. Like, I just don't think I could believe it in theory because it felt just wrong. <laughs> And then it wasn't until I got better at slowing down that I was able to get on board with this idea of like go, go, going all the time, not accepting, not slowing down, not surrendering is actually like not the best path towards my goals because, you know, those things matter and they're important. And mm. I don't know if that's been your experience, but that's really helped me embrace that. Yeah. Um, can I ask you a question? <laughs> sure. I'm kind of curious, like it, at least in recent times, like how has that shown up for you? I think that I like to move fast and I orient towards speed and new things and like I get excited and amped. And also I am human and don't like discomfort. And so I think the combination of that is that I can move really, really quickly and I cannot stop to slow down to integrate. I think that I just begin to notice over time what that pattern is creating in the long run. Like as I repeat it over and over and I have to look at like the value of slowing down and taking time to build a foundation, whether it's like an emotional foundation, a mindset foundation, an actual foundation inside my life or inside my business mm -hmm. or wherever it lives. I can just see that because I just like am building, 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 but I haven't slowed down to make sure like the bottom is super stable that I miss out on what could be. And I still don't like slowing down or surrendering or accepting. It's not <laughs> like I love it and it feels amazing, but I'm more on board with how it enhances the process and how valuable it is. I, maybe we could think of a good analogy, but it's sort of like 
It's like an upfront investment that you make that's like not so fun or glamorous. And then later on, you're so glad you did it because you see how much value it created. Yeah. And I think that's something I have to remind myself as well every time I do it because it the whole lazy mindset does come up very quickly. But it's just, I don't know, if it's a sticky note, if it's journaling about it when it does feel like we're at the part of the journey where it's like, okay, I do see the value of this really clearly. And slowing down enough to remember what that is, I think really helps us jump back into the next cycle of rest. And I think for me, it's just like embracing the fact that most things are cycles and not linear, I think has really helped that like, okay, I am going to come back around to this. Like something I'm trying to discover for myself is what I call the potato days where I know me, it's similar to you, Jessica, I like to go, go, go. And I can, and I'm very good at multitasking, but I'm also very good at burning out after multitasking, understandably. So I give myself permission to have these days where there's no meetings, there's no chores. Like if I want to leave the dishes in the sink, if I want to watch TV for 12 hours, that like I'm allowed to do whatever my body needs at that moment because it's my potato day and I've earned my potato day after going through a quick run. Oh my gosh. Yes. What you shared, I know is going to bring up so many thoughts, especially (laughs) because I think for people in the nine to five space, it can feel really sticky and really like, well, I'm expected to do this. I have to be here. And Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I don't know if you know about the mouse jigglers that people buy in case. So for remote workers, companies have software now like in in people's laptops that monitor whether they're at their computer working. Oh my gosh. So, but yeah, but so then people are buying these things that jiggle their mouse every mm. like 10 minutes. So it looks like they're there. But anyway, the point of this is all to say that for someone who's in an environment where there's scaffolding and expectations around how they're expected to show up, mm-hmm. I would want to open their mind to the fact that you can find wiggle room within that, even though it is harder, right? Because for us, we run our own business. We make all of the decisions. There's no one to tell us what to do. And I want to acknowledge the realities of being in a corporate environment while at the same time helping people understand that the main goal is for you to to deliver what you're there to deliver. And working in a way that feels bad and isn't efficient for you just because it's expected doesn't always necessarily make sense. And I think it's worth investigating whether you can find ways for it to feel better. Mm-hmm. And I think that brings up an irony that's been like on my mind for a while around just like what it means to show up as a professional, right? <laughs> Even the example you gave. So I imagine the end goal is efficiency. Like we want to produce a lot of stuff and to produce a lot of stuff, people need to show up to work. And just we need to know that people show up to work. So we put these things on their computers to make sure they're working. But inevitably with most things, like again, the discomfort, the resistance that shows up is like, actually, I don't. We're As humans, we're really good at inventing strategies to circumvent it, to prioritize comfort. So there goes this mouse jiggler thing that we like actually then spend more money and resources to come up and invent and, and use, right? But it's just like, eventually we're going to get to the point where like, wait, if all this was just to get people to create amazing output, like... If this is not doing it, like, why are we not just making the choice to stop and like to choose another way, right? We get really attached about certain tactics and policies at work that it really does make it super, super challenging to do. And I think when you are in that environment and we both have, like, we've both worked in nine to fives before, I think the extra skill set to bring into the mix is like, okay, 
as an individual, authenticity is self-work, is understanding yourself. But when you're trying to apply all those learnings into an environment with other people, then you also need relational work, right? You need Mm -hmm. to understand that someone else also has needs and they might have similar or different struggles as well. So how do we continue to lean into our courage and curiosity to be in those conversations that can feel uncomfortable, but it was with the shared purpose of like, how do we, how do we just show up in this space so that it supports us? How do we make work work for us as opposed to boxing ourselves in and creating these weird little inefficient strategies to quote unquote get more efficient, right? Yes. And what you're saying is reminding me of something that is so important to me and you're really hitting on it, which is that especially for those who are people leaders, you know, you get to set the culture on your team Mm -hmm. and sort of really impact what that experience is like for your team. And something that I see a lot, (laughs) I would love to have you help me debunk, is this belief that to be effective as a leader and have a high-performing team and do really good work, that you have to not be super caring about the individuals on your team, that you have to have more of an abrasive communication style, and that like there's this trade-off between output and like humanity and having compassion for people. And I'm constantly just trying to undo that because as long as we believe that's true, we're not going to look for ways that it's not true and better ways to do things. So I just want to hear all your thoughts on that. (laughs) (laughs) So many, so many. I was nodding the whole time you were saying that. Yeah, I actually think people managers or middle managers are in this like incredibly powerful position, right? Because you are the person who has access to take the company's bigger ideas and visions and actually make it hit the ground running. So like how to motivate people in a way that feels genuine and sustained is I imagine as a manager in our benefit, right? Because we can't show up at every turning point to be like, okay, are you feeling good? Do you feel motivated? Like this is the next step and so forth. So we kind of have to find ways to help people sustain their own fulfillment, their own motivation, their own energy as well. And I think part of it is just like empathy. Again, another simple but not easy thing to do is like, if we think about what it feels like to be barked at, what it feels like to have someone throw a command at us and then walk away. Like, I don't think anyone ever walks away from that reflection of saying like, yeah, I want more of that, right? Right. We want to be seen. We want to be heard. We want to be useful. I think just trusting that people want to actually put their best out there and sometimes slow is fast. If we slow down for just 45 minutes to talk about what's in the way, that can save you hours of odd little mouse jiggling strategies that people will form throughout the life cycle of your calendar year, your project or whatever it is that that you guys are striving to work on together. So I think a lot of times people think this emotional work is inefficient, but it actually is one of the most efficient ways to go about working together or just like showing up as humans in life. Because I think one of the things that no one can beat is emotions. It will show up. It will not ask for permission and it will do whatever it wants to do when it's ready. 100%. Yeah. I think about how the, like you spoke to relationships, right? And how we feel and act in interpersonal, professional relationships and those dynamics. And I feel like in my nine to five career, that had more of an impact on how motivated I felt than the actual work itself. Mm-hmm. So I learned this hard lesson pretty fast. I learned to not sort of choose projects based on how interesting the project looked. And I learned really quickly to choose projects based on the team and the people. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's like speaking a little bit to what you're saying, which is when we feel supported, right? And when we know how to support our people and have that empathy and allow them to be human, everyone has a better experience. And I think in the end of the day, it's so not about the work. And it's so... I'm always very fascinated when people talk about like how fulfilled they feel based on the company that they're at and what their product is. And I always wonder about what those interpersonal dynamics are like, because I think there's so much fulfillment that can come from being part of a team or an environment that feels really good and supportive. It's not always just about the work itself. I just shared a whole lot of stuff, but curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I think the the work itself gets put up front and center. And sometimes it is important. I think for some folks, like fulfillment, seeing something from creation to end has a deeply satisfying feeling of completion. Yeah. Right. And it's like, oh, wow, this is wonderful. But even reflecting on my time as a project manager, I've witnessed in my own journey, as well as everyone on my team, that whenever you're in a teamwork setting, it becomes really difficult to feel that, right? Because everything is owned together. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, well, where where is my contribution at the end of the day? And how do I feel good about that contribution? So I think part of it is like when you are in that team dynamic, fulfillment and satisfaction comes from knowing where you end or others begin. Or sometimes I flip that backwards, like where others end and you begin as well. But just like, what is that defining? I don't want to say line, but defining edge of sorts of like, what's bringing me, Betty? And like, what am I bringing this conversation as opposed to you, Jess, right? Like, and just knowing how to dovetail with each other and make the whole thing stronger than what it was. Yeah. I'm curious to hear more about your experience of like figuring that out and finding that out for yourself in your project management career. Is that something you struggled with? In terms of like where I end and others begin and so forth? Yeah. Yeah, I think even all the way until the last day when I hung up my hat, I, frankly, it's something that I didn't really see super clearly for myself until I went full hog into the whole coaching journey. But just reflecting on it, I would say anybody who's in a place where they are acting as servant leaders, right? Like that could be, and I don't mean leader with the capital L with the title and so forth, but just like you are here, you're working on a team or a project, and you're really just supporting the work of those around you. Something I used to say all the time that I struggled with, and I shared this with my managers then, is that I don't have a deliverable as a project manager. The closest thing I have to tangible deliverable is the timeline. But even then, a good timeline is built with the consideration of everyone on the team and the client side as well. So, so much of it is out of my hand and out of my personal control of it. But something I I wish I knew the name back then was that my tangible deliverable was the team culture, right? Like that resiliency group, the creating team, the collaborativeness that I was able to foster with everyone, the open honesty and like the ability to support each other when things were dropped or things needed to get escalated and sped up and so forth. So just feeling that feeling where like everybody is committed and everybody's in it for the same goal, creating that clarity is not easy. And I I wish I knew the name that, but, but frankly, I think for a long time, I didn't value that because it was something that came easy to me and was inside my comfort zone. And I do think over time, something that happens for everybody is the things that you find easy, you start to take for granted, right? Mm-hmm. It could be actually your special strength and your special skill. But if no one's helping to reflect that back to you, sometimes it gets really hard to see. 
Yes. And it's remarkable how much that is true. Because I think this is where our own minds can really mess us up. Mm-hmm. What feels like truth to us can feel so true in our bones, like so true with every fiber of our being. And then you hear someone say, oh, you're really good at this, or this is your strength. And it really just feels like, no, you think it is, <laughs> but you don't know what's going on in this brain of mine. so easy. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's so important. It segues really well into what I wanted to ask you about next, which is, what you do with your clients and how you see the role of a coach, because I think that that's like one very beautiful component of the work. But I think people often think about the role of a coach is like they're going to tell someone what to do and things like that. (laughs) And I'd be curious to get your thoughts and your perspective. Obviously, we all have our different styles. Sometimes I tell my clients what to do and you're not supposed to do that as a coach. We all got our own approach, but I'd love (laughs) to hear your approach. I would say the thing that really makes coaching different from almost all of their experiences in life is the absence of advice unless requested, right? But even then, when you're giving advice as a coach, it's based on what the client is asking for, what the client needs. And I think one of the most valuable things as coaches we give to our clients and we help them foster to create it for themselves even when they stop working with us is how do you make space for yourself to slow down and to exercise your own voice, right? And sometimes that can look as silly as like saying things out loud to yourself in the mirror or just saying it to your closest friends because that's where your comfort level is at the moment. But over time, like continuing to flex that muscle, like with most muscles that we work out, we get stronger and stronger with it. And we're finding that we get to be more comfortable saying it in front of meetings, in front of a high stake group of individuals and so forth. So I think just like that practice of not having your questions answered for you immediately Something I get a lot from my clients is, well, what do you think, Betty? And it takes so much from me as a human being and as a coach to be like, actually, what I think right now is not actually what's relevant. What you think is what's relevant and just turning the mic back over. And I think even, I won't speak for everyone, but for myself, the compulsions that I haven't had a chance to be the one speaking into the mic for most of my life that the moment I get it, like I, it feels like it's kind of, I shouldn't let go. But every time I do do it as a coach and in my coaching sessions, like these amazing, beautiful ideas come out from my clients, right? That things that they've been holding for a really long time and they've stored in this like tiny place in their heart finally gets the space and the sunshine to grow and, and to show up in the rest of the world. And I think the other part that's really powerful is just reflection. I think having someone who holds a more neutral space in your life, right? You're, we're not the person you're dating. We're not your relative. We're not your boss. Um, so we have that ability to exercise a bit of distance to what's being talked about that being able to hold that space for you to see it. And then when you do speak to reflect back to you, hey, this is the third time I've heard you say something like that. Do you realize this has been coming up in our conversations multiple times? I think that has actually been probably one of the most valuable things that my clients have reflected back to me time and again. And like, oh, it's helpful to know that I am consistent, that I am showing up in these ways. I just didn't get to see it for a long time until someone took the time to point it out to me. Yeah, it's just so fascinating how as humans, our narratives that we form about ourselves, about our lives, about what we think is or isn't happening, 
how, number one, we don't catch ourselves in the process of forming the narrative. It, to us, it just feels true. It just feels like this is who I am. This is what's happening. So we really like skip over that leap of, wait, what are the actual facts? And then what is the narrative that I've now created out of all of those facts? And mm-hmm. it can be really hard to see ourselves do that, to first even catch it, and then to create that opening to actually see, to even have the awareness that it's one of several potential narratives before even being able to make the leap to seeing it in a different way. I'm just constantly shocked by the human brain and how hard it can make our lives. (laughs) I mean, it does it out of survival, right? It does it out of an odd form of love and protection for us. Comfort reigns above all. We like to stay comfortable. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. It's true. It's, It's doing its best to help us, but it's just, it's so fascinating. And I think when I hear the phrase neutral perspective, it can almost sound like, oh, cool, neutral perspective. But then when you think about like the impact of that, if you've been sitting in a perspective that is wrong, that is causing you to not feel good about yourself or causing your life or career to go in a direction that you're not happy about, it is the neutral perspective that is the missing link. And I think something I'm being more present to, even in my own work, is that we just can't do it all by ourselves. We're not meant to. Yes. You know, so there's no harm in asking for someone to kind of take that moment and give us a few insights and reflections as well. It's part of growing. 100%. And I think part of really good leadership too, I'm always trying to define leadership in a healthy way that feels like it honors our humanity. And I think sometimes we think that Leadership and high performance comes from having all the answers, right? I shouldn't need to ask Mm -hmm. someone. I shouldn't need help. I shouldn't need other people. And for me, I've, I've just flipped that on its head over the past few years of good leadership. It, It includes a vulnerability and a willingness that doesn't mean you don't problem solve on your own or ever have solutions or ideas, but it's almost like flowing fluidly through self-reliance and reliance on others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's, that is what it is. Like that kind of like situation awareness where it's like, Hey, am I at a point where I do need to flow back into myself and check in with what the, what's authentic or do I need to actually just get out of my own head for a little bit here and ask for someone else to help me connect the dots because I'm not able to at the moment. Yeah. I want to talk a little more just about the work that you do because you do so much interesting and valuable work, both through your coaching and also I know through the workshops that you do. So I want to explore that a little bit with you and to lay some context for everyone. I wanted to get your perspective on this idea of doing work on ourselves as individuals versus doing work in community and sort of get your thoughts on the the roles that those play and the importance of each. Yeah. I mean, this is a great dovetail from what we were just talking about, right? Like there's a time and a place for each of these, as opposed to seeing that there's one right choice or one, and the rest is our wrong choices. I've done a lot of experimentation for myself, even like having a coach, having a therapist, going through group coaching myself. And part of why I did that was because I know that my learning style is experiential. So in order for me to build these things in a thoughtful, intentional way, I wanted to experience what it was like to be in the other seat. And I think what I'm finding so far, and now just you're making me realize I need to ask my clients too, to see <laughs> what they think as well, 
But what I'm currently finding so far is that the 101 is great for when things really, really feel elusive, right? Like I just need that big birth space to throw everything on the table, put all my mess out there and then have support and a partner to help me be like, okay, what's matching? What's not matching? What's out of season? What do I want to keep in? And so forth. So I think one-on-one coaching is really great for that. But there's some things where when you're in community, it's extremely healing as well, right? That sensation, instant sensation of like, oh, I'm not alone in this. And that's partly why for one of my programs called Conquering Criticism, I designed that to be a very intimate, small group experience of two to four folks, because I realized that even though I can work with clients one-on-one through that, and some folks really benefit from it. Some folks just need that extra reassurance of like, it's, it is a human thing. Like it, I, it's not just me. It's not just Betty. Like there are actually mu- much more people out there who feel a similar weight and a similar struggle as well. And that immediately gives a sense that it's okay when we're not alone. It's a very empowering feeling as well. And it's also something I try to offer just in more bite sizes, either through free webinars that I post up on LinkedIn. I did one recently for slowing down how to recognize and be with our emotions when we're, when we receive criticism. And there are a few more coming down the pipeline around just like, how do we align with our fulfillment? Like we often have goals that we've set either fresh or for years. And we've kind of forgotten why those are our goals. Like why is that important to us? So taking that time to, again, slow down so that we can speed up to just realign with like, how does this line up with my values? How does this line up with who I want to be in life? So that we can actually get much more creative in how to execute that goal in the long run, as opposed to feeling there's only one way and one way only to do it. So yeah, a lot of exciting areas to look. I think that's the beautiful thing about coaching is that it does span the gamut of life, right? So there's a lot of places to get curious about. Yeah. And for those who feel curious about um, conquering criticism, can you share a little bit more about what that is? Maybe how it's different from your one-on-one? Yeah. So one-on-ones, we really, we really just dance, right? Whatever the client brings in and we'll look at it. And something I I kind of preface for all my clients is that you're going to find this journey is not linear. I think most folks expect any journey to be like point A to point B. I know all my stops and this is what's going to happen, but rather feels a lot more like an upward spiral where we hit a lot of the same themes but just throughout different parts of our life. There's a little bit more structure in a group coaching just to respect all the folks that are coming in and to get us into that same mental warmed up space. So for conquering criticism, it's really focused on folks who are, who've received criticism or what feels like criticism. Doesn't actually matter what it is or not. It may feel fair or unfair in that moment and taking the time to unpack that. Right. So we go through three stages that shows up also in my one on one, but it's a little bit more structured in the group conversations. One is really looking at what I call our left lane. So if we had to create this, imagine you're, you're moving through life and like there's like a wide space in front of you. It can be really overwhelming to know which way to head towards. So to kind of narrow it down for us, we kind of create these guard, these personal guardrails so that we can start to have like a little personalized compass for ourselves. Like, okay, this is my true north or like, okay, this is actually my true north. It takes the pressure of feeling like you have to know every single step from now until 10 years later in your life, but just to have that compass to guide you of 
like what is the next best step for me? So in our program, we, we take some time to go through what I call reveal, reveal what you don't want. What are the things you are ready to put down? Like kind of the analogy you used earlier, what's last season? What do you want to let go of right now? By looking at what are the words that are said, the context in which the criticism was shared, what does that bring up to, for us, right? Like Jesse talked about how the cool th- ways our brain works earlier. It's like, okay, what are those judgments that are coming up and can we name them? Can we give them space so that we can start to understand what, what still hurts for us? Because we can't really show up as our best self when we're still hurting and making space for those emotions so that we can start to discern for ourselves what are the patterns between criticism showing up in this part of my life as opposed to different parts of my life as well? And then you get to really start to see like, okay, is this a pattern that's based on what I do or don't do? Or is this a pattern based on situations? Is this a pattern based on the types of bosses I have? And again, information, it just becomes data that you can take on to inform your compass as you continue to move forward. So that's one stage we go through that in our first two group sessions together. And then the middle part of our journey is looking at the other side, setting that other guardrail on our right side, which I like to call realign to what you do want in life, right? Uncovering your essence. What are those natural skills that you've forgotten you've had, you've taken for granted? What is important to you? I think when we're young, a lot of folks get asked, what do you want to be when you grow up in your life? But no one follows up with like, why is that the thing you want to be in life, right? And then ask you four more times, why, 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 why? So you can get really clear what is that underlying driver of what that is. Because I can see two people wanting the same promotion, but their reasoning behind it could be completely different. So getting to that level of intimate self-knowledge could really just become that ongoing sustainable fuel when you need to keep moving through difficult situations as well. And that allows us to also redefine what success is. Rather than success is a promotion, success is me getting the experience to lean into my leadership for the first time. Me learning how to be a servant leader in ways that I always said I wanted to be and didn't know. Becoming the leader that I always craved to see but didn't have, right? So there are different motivations for different individuals. And I think what naturally happens when you get the left and the right lane is that this this path down the middle, this windy little path starts to show up for you. And the thing that most of us are most scared to do is to then walk on it, right? So the last part of program is making those choices based on what we've talked about, what we've learned about your patterns, what we've learned about what's important to you, taking the courage to do it so that you can start rekindling that energy for yourself, that forward moment for yourself. And inevitably, like with most things in life, you're going to run into an obstacle. So part of the program is designed to like, I don't want you to just discover those two lanes and then go like, bye, you're out in the world all by yourself. But rather, you're still being held in a community of people who know your story, who know your struggles. And you can lean on as your personal team to kind of troubleshoot through what those obstacles are. And of course, last but not least, to celebrate you, right? Because you are doing some really challenging, tough things that takes courage, that takes resiliency, that takes a rare kind of form of leadership that doesn't always even show up when we say capital L leadership. So having that group be with you and stand with you and what's possible for you is, um, yeah, the, the end of our experience. And we celebrate. And then if folks want to continue one-on-one from there, that is an option. But sometimes folks feel like they got what they need and they get to go and just move through life for a little while or more.
That was really long. Thank you for patiently listening to that. <laughs> oh, it's great. I mean, it shows how much thought that you have put into this and the structure of it. If someone wants to learn more or feels curious about that or any of your other work, where is the best place to connect with you, to learn more about you? Yeah, I think for if you're looking for something, just like hear my story. I also have these little I call post-it insights or like a page from my life is what I call it right now, where I do a little doodle and have a little bit of a reflection. And I share a question with you. So you could do that reflection with me as well. All that along with the workshops and the program are on my website at heybettychan.com. So feel free to go there to peruse. And if something catches your eye, something I'd love is whether you're ready for coaching or not, if you just want to be in a conversation and learn more about what coaching could support you in. Because I think part of it is just connecting the dots of like, okay, here's coaching. It's cool. I think it's what I need. But like, how does that apply to me? I think is a really important conversation to have. And that's what my discovery calls are about. So feel free to book uh, a free conversation with me. That's also available through the website. But as for the more real-time updates, I think LinkedIn is probably the best place to find me. Wonderful. And we will link that in the show notes that everyone can find it super easily. And anything else you want to share before I pivot to the closing questions? Oh, um... No, I think we've touched on so much. I Honestly, we could have like hours and hours of conversation around this. I know. I feel like this was a wonderful amalgamation of like 10 different topics all into one <laughs> miraculous interview. I'm loving it so much. Um, okay, so closing questions. Uh, there are three. So the first one is just an open-ended question. Is there anything that I haven't asked you about or just anything that's on your mind that you want to express or share? I think something that really, for the listeners that don't know, one of the things that started my conversation relationship with Jess is around just like cross-racial friendships, right? And like cross-racial, cross-racial relationships, either that's in the context of work or life. You nodded to it earlier on where there are bigger things at play sometimes that adds to that feeling of struggle for us when we don't know what what our next move is, where do we, how do we continue to show up as ourselves when everything around us is asking us not to. So that is something that I'd love to maybe have a part two conversation about. Yes, so much more to talk about. And I really hope that we can. Um, then mm-hmm. I'll have to come up with a set, give you like the second set of closing questions for people that come on twice, which is always fun. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, second to last is this podcast is called The Art of Speaking Up. What does that mean to you? You know, I think I knew the meaning before I had the words for it. Like it just, it it resonated so immediately because I think most of us think that there's a, there's a certain way to speak up. But I, I love that you use the word the art of because it's not a scientific step one, two, three or mathematical if you think of it that way. But it is a creation based on what are the materials you have at hand, right? So when I think about times that I did speak up and including times I didn't speak up, I think what it means to me is, I think first is really the the honesty to know what to say, right? To know even for ourselves what feels true, what we need from that moment, what we need from that relationship or that dynamic that we're facing. And once we get clear on that is uh, the, the courage to say it, right? The courage to actually give it voice, give it volume. And I don't mean yell at the top of your lungs as I hope you can all tell by hearing me. I'm generally a pretty mellow speaker. So yelling only happens in certain circumstances in my life. But just the courage to give voice, to give air to it. 
And I think the last one, because we talked about relationships, like once it's out there, it's going to be perceived in ways that we can no longer control, right? So having the empathy to evolve with what we say, because we're people who choose to prioritize relationship over being right, right? Relationships are more important to us than being right. And if that is your jam, then that's how I would say the art of speaking up flows to me. I love that. And the final question is inspired by what inspired the show. So the show was inspired by a rough patch in my corporate career where I was feeling really down about myself and just really struggling to believe in myself and find my voice. And so I like to give this opportunity as just a chance for you to speak to anyone listening who might be going through their own version of just feeling down, struggling to believe in themselves, struggling to see their talents. What would you want to share with that person? I mean, even though I don't know who that is right now, I think the first thing I want to say is I'm sorry that you have to carry so much of it, right? I was actually, while we've been opening the doors for Cochrane criticism, a lot of folks generously shared their own stories around criticism as well. And I think the thing that became really present to me is the weight that we end up carrying when we... um when we feel like we're in a place to struggle, right? And that immediately puts us to feeling like we're alone in this. And I guess that that leads me to my point. I'm like, just constantly remember that you're not alone. I'm an only child. I've told myself my whole life I'm alone, but like it's a journey to recognize that you can have a family as big as you want it to be, as long as you are being authentic to yourself, continuing to nurture relationships in open and honest ways. And then you will be probably the wealthiest person you know when it comes to love and relationships. I love that so much. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Betty. Yeah, thank you for having me. (laughs) It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's conversation. I loved this so much. I think one of my absolute favorite parts was the lumpy rug that just really resonated with me and it was such a memorable metaphor. I hope you took something away from this conversation. If you felt inspired by everything that Betty shared, follow their work. I will link below Betty's social handles, their Instagram, LinkedIn, their website. And I know that Betty does a bunch of different coaching formats. They do one-on-one. They also do corporate workshops. And of course, they talked about their program, Conquering Criticism. I will link all of those below. Go ahead and show Betty some support and follow their work. And I want to thank Betty for coming on the show. Thank you, Betty. I loved this conversation so much. And I want to thank you, the listener, for being here and for being a part of the Art of Speaking Up community. It is truly an honor to have you listening. And if you want to say hi to me, I will drop my contact information at the very bottom of the show notes. I hope you have an incredible day and I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye.